Well, for those of you who have been with us in this series called Are You Growing? You know that at this time in the service, we do our memory verse. Let's go through Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Next week, we're doing it without the, uh, without the uh, slide up there, okay? Just for the record. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Everybody together. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Good job. One more time. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right. Good job. Trick for memorizing verses. You think, you know, I don't have any more room in my brain. That's, that's what everybody says. I got too much up here. I can't memorize anything. A little trick that I use. Leave it up here for a minute here. And you've probably heard about this kind of thing. It's nothing new to me. But, but I go one, one word at a time. Therefore. I think about what it means. Therefore, as. I try to think about what the word as means. <laughs> and then I go, therefore, as you. Therefore, as you received. Now, of course, once you do that one word at a time, meditating on what the word means and thinking about it, you'll pretty much have it by the time you get to the end. However, the secret is going backwards. That's the truly hard part. Because by the time you know it well enough one way, going backwards a word at a time is a good way to get it in there. You say, Thanksgiving. What comes, next? What comes before that? And you have to go through the whole thing, you know, when you're trying to alphabetize something and you can't remember, and you go through the whole alphabet to get there, you kind of feel like that. So once you've gone a word at a time forwards and then a word at a time backwards, you'll have it. You'll have it pretty well. It'll just take some repetition the next uh, couple days and continuing to remember that. So uh, that's my nerdy Bible uh, trick for memorization today. As most of you uh, who have been following along in this series know, we have a big idea that we talk about in this series, which is this. This series is all about growth. It's about what we call sanctification, being made more and more holy. It's what fits us for heaven. We talked about being the bride of Christ, prepared for our bridegroom as we go to heaven. And that that process of becoming more Christ-like is growth in godliness. So we're saying that growth in godliness in this whole series is what transforms our faith from a what? Claim to a cause. That's right. Growth in godliness is what transforms our faith from something we just claim and say to something we do and we live. That's why our second C is to cultivate growth. We are made as people to worship God. And that's why we talk about celebrating Him and His work in our lives. We talk about the third C, communicating the gospel in word and deed. And that transaction from being the kind of people who just worship God as Creator to people who communicate the gospel has to go through this process of cultivating growth in our lives. That's why our second C is to cultivate a place of growth in our lives in relationship with God and with one another. Let's pray as we get into this question today. Lord, it's our hope, it's our desire 
that we would take advantage of the opportunity to have your Holy Spirit speak to us through your word today. We know that you are present with us in a special way because we as your body are gathered together. And so, Father, help us to take advantage of that opportunity that you would speak to us, that your word would speak to us through your spirit and change us and make us increasingly into your likeness so that we would enjoy not just relationship with you for ourselves, but that we would enjoy being a part of the gospel message to those who don't yet enjoy that relationship. We ask that you'd make of this congregation of people who cultivate growth in their lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As many of you uh, know over the years, I really, I really like coffee. A few of you who are my Facebook friends know where I'm going with this. I really like coffee. And I'm willing to pay a little bit extra for a good cup of coffee. I'm willing to pay 50 cents extra for that good Starbucks Pike Place blend as opposed to the burnt sitting there for the last four hours coffee at the diner that we all pick up in the morning or that, or, or that corner store. Not me because I go to Chocolate Cafe and I get my coffee from Christina. <clears throat> I'm willing to pay a little extra. Good coffee's like shoes. You don't mess around with shoes. You buy good shoes. Am I right, ladies? That's what my wife tells me. But I've never had this experience like I had this week. I've never had the experience that I had this past week for coffee. You see, last Sunday, I went with a Sunday school class to lunch. And we had some folks coming over for lunch. And so I didn't have a lot of time to mosey with them. So I said, well, I'll just get a cup of coffee and then I'll go home because we've got folks coming over. And so I did that. But, of course... We're cash envelopes people, we're Dave Ramsey, financial peace, use cash people, but I left it in the car. So I thought, well, I'll use my debit card. It's only a buck fifty. Well, when we got our statement back, it ended up being this. <laughs> Believe me, I wish I were kidding. Imagine our surprise when we saw on our account that we were debited $10,032.31 for a $1.85 cup of coffee. I'm a pretty good tipper. I really am. And, 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 and I was fully intending to witness to this girl and say, you know, I'll give you a buck for that $1.85 coffee as tip, but this is a good tip. <clears throat> now, obviously... Everything's getting worked out. It's, it's been a little bit of frustration on our part. Well, it's been a lot of frustration on my wife's part. We've been going to the bank, spent hours trying to work this all out, and everything is going to be fine. Probably Monday morning our account will be uh, rectified and, and uh, back in the positive. <laughs> you know, in the whole scheme of things, a $10,000 cup of coffee is no big deal. It'll get fixed. It's no sweat. But what do you do 
when it's not just a $10,000 cup of coffee, but what do you do when life really goes wrong? What do you do when a world of sin that we live in, where things don't work as they should, when that world imposes itself on your life, when your good intentions of tipping a dollar on a dollar eighty-five become ten thousand, that's no big deal. But how about when your kind-hearted attempt to help someone is misperceived as pushy or hurtful? How about as some of you have experienced? How about those years of parenting and unconditional love that seem to be met with anger and resentment? and distance, and isolation. What do you do when you're working hard as a single mom and you're trying to provide for your kids and never have one moment to yourself? When you are working harder than anybody knows, carrying unknown burdens for others, doing others' jobs at work, and there's no raise, and your benefits just keep becoming more expensive, what do you do when you're sick and tired or you're sick and retired and you don't want to get out of the house or you can't? And over time, that, that depression sets in, that, that loneliness, that isolation. What do you do when life goes wrong? What do you do when you get that phone call, those kinds of phone calls that you, you fear receiving? Someone in your family is hurt. There's a divorce going on that you never would have guessed about. Infidelity and pain and suffering. What do you do when it's not just a cup of coffee, but truly life's weight and burdens become too much to bear? The question is this. How do you and I respond? How do we respond when life is heavy, when difficulty comes, when suffering is palpable and real to you? Let me tell you how you respond <laughs> in general terms. You train, you respond, and I respond in ways we've been trained to respond. That's how we respond. In a way that we've learned to respond to life, because often we let life be our teacher. Whether we're taught by various things like dysfunctional family systems, broken relationships, even for many of us, abuse and mistreatment. For some of us, even seemingly innocent things like trashy romance novels or, or empty and vacuous TV shows, they become our teacher. Anything in life can be our teacher, friends, for good or for ill. Anything becomes our teacher when it comes to how we respond to life's circumstances, to life's frustrations. For many of us also, our teachers have been the unconditional love and care and nurture of loving parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. Many of us have been taught 
by a living and, and vibrant community of faith. Many of us have been taught by classic hymns and songs we remember well and hold dear. Good old books by a bunch of dead people who have gone before and can teach us about how to live. Many of us have been taught by the scriptures and by worship and by all of those things that we do as a community. A Sunday school teacher, a youth worker, a volunteer who nurtured us in the faith. This week, we talk about something that is very much a rubber meets the road kind of question that takes our faith from a claim to a cause because it determines how we respond in life's sufferings and frustrations. This week, we ask ourselves the question, are the disciplines increasingly important to you? Is God's discipline increasingly important in your life? This is an important question because it points out this principle, and this is the first blank in the outline there. The first principle is that maturity is no accident. Maturity is no accident. Friends, mature believers don't just, they don't just happen. They don't just spontaneously happen. They are formed. They are shaped. They are, like 1 Timothy says, trained into godliness. We don't just happen into a godly lifestyle as if it's some sort of spiritual osmosis. You see, even, even attendance in worship every week does not a disciple make. We become people formed by God's character through an intentional process of establishing well-formed habits of heart and mind. We become people formed by God's character through an intentional process of establishing well-formed habits of heart and mind. Sure, you may say, we're saved by grace. It's by grace you have been saved. It's not of you. God did it. It's not your work so that no one can boast. Sure, grace from God is what saves us from the damaging effects of sin, but we are transformed into godliness by the power of the Spirit working in our lives to change us from the inside out. And the disciplines become for us like little invitations we send to God to say, Lord, work on my life. They're like little invitations to the Holy Spirit, opening ourselves up to the work of God by which he, in his spirit, works on our hearts to form us and shape us into who he wants us to be. That's why 2 Corinthians, I, I love this verse. 2 Corinthians 3:18 says this, We who with unveiled faces, unlike Moses, we who with unveiled faces, we all reflect the Lord's glory. And we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And that comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So today's question is asking, if you are putting yourself in the way of God's discipline. Let's jump into Hebrews, the 12th chapter here. We're going to jump into the Hebrews 12 here and focus on a few verses here, especially in Hebrews 12. We're going to learn about God's discipline in general terms, and then we'll discuss a little about how we can apply some specific Christian disciplines in our lives, like, like regular worship 
with the body of Christ. Like, like prayer, like time in the Word, fellowship and encouragement with the saints, sharing stories of God's work in our lives to communicate the gospel. All of those are the kinds of disciplines that we involve ourselves in if we are, if we are a growing Christian. Let's dive in. Hebrews 12, verses 10 through 17. Let's go ahead and read that whole section there so you can get the context again. For they disciplined us, that's our parents, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, that is God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one falls, fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Let's just stop there in verse 15. Look at verse 10 again. It says, for they, that is, our parents, They disciplined us for a short time, that is, while we lived under their roofs, as seemed best to them. But he, that is God, disciplined us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. It doesn't take a rocket science to know that human parents disciplined as seems best to them. Many of you have experienced and been the reason why your kids have experienced this imperfect discipline. Our best is often mistaken. It's always imperfect. Sometimes, as parents, we punish out of anger more than love. Sometimes we punish more than the offense calls for. I'm sure none of you out here have ever done this. I'm, I'm told that parents do. Certainly not me, but I've heard of parents disciplining, I can't believe it, the wrong kid. Only to find that it was the other kid. Don't stand there all self-righteous. You've done it too. (laughs) But God, but God disciplines us perfectly for our good and ultimately for the purpose of sharing in his holiness. And he gives us tools for this training. We'll give some more meat on those bones a little later. But for now, suffice it to say that God wants to train us for heaven. He wants to prepare us for perfect relationship with him, a restored relationship with the eternal father. But he wants to begin here and now. He wants to begin working on us now. Sometimes we avoid, you know, the Christian disciplines like, you know, getting up early and and, and praying or, or sticking to the word at a certain time every day and 
or, or, or a list. I, you know, I just, I'm not good with lists. And it smacks of legalism and something that that young preacher is trying to impose on my life, really. I mean, really, that's, it, just, it just smacks to me of legalism. Friends, it's a tool like any other tool that we have available to us to train us. We'll talk about that more, but for now, look at verse 11 here. Verse 11 points out something we all know. At the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I hate running for physical exercise. (laughs) Can I get a witness? I mean, really, just you and the open road running. I think to myself, that's what cars are for. Why would I want to put my body through that kind of physical training? Unless you are running away from a bad guy chasing you, the only thing about running that is good is, for me, when you're done. But, of course, through high school and college, I ran a lot. I didn't like it. I even, for a year in track in high school, ran the mile, the two-mile, and the two-mile relay. And that was a time in my life when when having parents who never let you go back on your word was kind of annoying. Because a week into it, I thought, what have I gotten myself into? It wasn't something I enjoyed. But I did it because I knew full well that my running was not about me. You see, our training for godliness, so much for us as believers, is this this system by which we think we justify ourselves before God. Totally false. Totally unbiblical. And yet we live our lives and we structure our communities of faith in ways which mean that you and I depend on feeling good about our relationship with God, about whether or not we have done those things on that list. Because it's about whether or not I justify myself before God. But, like running in high school and college, I knew that others were depending on me. I knew that others were depending on me to be prepared for the race or for the game. I knew that Scott Pearson would be coming at me with a baton and he would always be in first place. I knew he was depending on me to give my best and so I ran and I trained. Friends, the next blank, the goal of your life is godliness. The goal for your life is becoming increasingly like Christ. The goal. You can say it other ways. You can use other words. Of course, it's about the glory of God. We can say other things about it. But the goal of your life and mine is godliness. It's not comfort. It's not luxury. It's not big houses nice clothes, nice cars. It's not investments to get us comfortably past the next economic downturn. It's not even having a pleasant and comfortable place 
to worship Jesus so that I feel good about my spiritual life. The goal of every cell in your body is to increasingly become like the creator who made those cells. And it's not just a training for us. It's not for our sakes. It's because we're soldiers in a battle for souls who need to learn how to respond to their lives when things are hard. We have people we love, people with untold needs and hurts, people who don't yet enjoy a relationship with God, depending on us to demonstrate in our lives the kind of Christ-likeness by which they see that God is who he claims to be. And we have an incredibly broken world all around us that is depending on Jesus demonstrating himself through us to live lives that yield a peaceful fruit of righteousness that demonstrate that God is who he claims to be. Listen, friends, God's heart must constantly be breaking for his children's struggles. And the kind of brokenness that our struggle against sin and their struggle against sin produces. God's heart must be constantly breaking at his children's struggle with sin and evil and the kind of brokenness it produces in our lives and the lives of people we love. My question is this. Is yours, is mine? Growth and godliness has never and will never be only about you and Jesus. It's not just Jesus and me. It's Jesus and we. God's heart is constantly breaking for people who do not know him. The question is, does yours and mine? And if it doesn't, then get yourself in this thing. Instead of allowing an hour on Sunday to be your total input into your life with the word of God. The ridiculous notion that what we do here for an hour is the sum total of our growth and godliness is what is starving believers everywhere. And so, if your heart does not pound with the brokenness of the world out there, perhaps... It's because you have not yet been disciplined. Does your heart break for those people? Or are you happy to let your whole little existence be about you? Because, because when we do that, as people, as families, as the church, we functionally turn our back on people for whom Jesus died. We have a perfect heavenly father called us to use our lives 
for his cause to freely, luxuriously, exorbitantly, ridiculously spend our lives graciously for him like he did for us. And shame on us for thinking that these things of the world or this world's power structures are the means by which God's kingdom will be made known to people. People's hearts are not changed by anything you can name other than the power of Jesus to change them. Nothing. Churches who are content with their personal warm fuzzies of knowing everyone, you know what? I don't want to be a part of that church. Let me tell you exactly why. I don't want to be a part of a church where I know everyone because I want to have to learn names. I want to have to learn about people who are witnesses to the power of God in their lives and to hear their stories of God's demonstration of his Holy Spirit to change their hearts. Because knowing everyone else can often really be about everyone else. Knowing me. The goal isn't comfort. It isn't pleasure. It isn't the size of this building. It isn't my financial health, my, my physical health. The goal is the glory of God demonstrated in our lives because we increasingly look more and more like him. And to any and every ill that you or the world have ever known or experienced, the Lord has set forth the goodness of his character as both the standard and the means by which he restores brokenness. To any and every ill you or the world has ever known, the Lord has set forth the goodness of his character as the standard and the means by which he restores brokenness and people to himself. This church thing isn't about looking spiritually enough to impress others or to feel good about me. And not just about preparing you and I for heaven with him. The issue of whether Christians will really follow Christ is that you and I are handed a baton and there are untold billions of people who don't yet know Jesus, some of whom live and work with you, live next door to you, are in your own families. So if the goal is godliness, start training. Start training. How many of you have, don't answer this out loud, how many of you have, have long seen your life in terms that you were designed to train to be a part of the army of God taking his kingdom to people. We're not trained that way. Begin seeing your life as a soldier in the army of the kingdom of God fighting for lost souls. If you want your life to be exciting, to enjoy it, to be about something bigger than yourself, what more important thing can you do but give yourself 
to the kingdom of God, bringing restoration out of brokenness. There are tons of ways for you to be involved in spiritual disciplines this very week at First Christian Church. Tons of ways. You can dive into the Word of God throughout your week. You can listen to it on your iPod. You can go to the resource tables and and pick up a Bible reading plan. You can check the box in the back of the connection card. Commit to memorizing our verses in, in Corinthians there. Use the prayer card that we put into the weekly bulletin every week. Get up 30 minutes earlier. Pray through that prayer card. Go to bed a few minutes later. Put it on your nightstand. Have it ready. Go to Sunday school if you don't. Fill out the growth groups lesson, even if you're not in a growth group. Ask about involvement in a ministry team. we got tons of things that need to be done here. And we need you to be a part of it. Sign up to help as a greeter. Participate in a Wednesday night activity. we got things for everybody on Wednesday nights, all of which are about the second C of putting a place in your life where you can grow. Kids club, 180 youth group, adult Bible study. The list goes on and on of things that we provide for you so that you can become more and more the person God created you to be. And disciplines don't have to be something where you go off to a desert for a full week and you do nothing but starve yourself. But if you want to fast, if you want, if you want prayer life with God, skip some meals. If you want growth and godliness, take advantage of the tons of things we already have available for you here. You know, simply put, there's a direct relationship in the long term between one's spiritual growth and one's involvement in the body of Christ. And my job, our job, is to continually hold that standard high for us. It's the kind of standard that we find held up in 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. I just want to read that and hear those things throughout. Hear those things throughout like we've talked about, your involvement in worship, being in a smaller group, whether a Sunday school, a ladies' circle, a Bible study, a growth group, getting involved in service and in ministry. Notice those things here. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have, hope, uh, we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and impurity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, 
which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. If our growth continues to be about us, we will miss out on the joy of participating in the kingdom of God, redeeming people to himself. And that's what happens when the body of Christ continues to say, Lord, through your spirit, shape us with prayer, in our time in the word, in our worship, in our groups discussing what this means for my life. When we share in growth groups about what's gone on for the week, when we participate in a ministry team, whatever the capacity, preparing communion, usher, greeter, a volunteer as a teacher, all of those things are disciplines given to us as opportunities to grow. If you're looking for a church home and you're a baptized believer in Jesus, we want to invite you in just a moment as we uh, stand to sing to come forward if you would like to uh, place membership with us. If you've not been baptized and publicly declared your faith in Jesus Christ, and you know that what he did for you on the cross is enough to bring you back to him, then as we stand, we ask that you'd come forward. Let's stand and sing together.